Hello guys, my name is Stephanie Ramirez and I have launched a campaign to help families and children who are facing dehumanizing conditions at detention centers. The name of this campaign is called Families Belong Together. I created this t-shirt designed to try to raise funds for two organizations that are in the front lines, Raices and Border Angels. With your purchase, you will be contributing towards the fight against the injustice happening across the border. With your help, I will be donating 100% of all the proceeds to these organizations who are fighting against inhumane treatment of migrants by providing legal services, education to immigrant families, and providing also water jugs to immigrants who are going through the high traffic migrant paths in the desert. I want to encourage you to support this cause and help us make a difference by standing against this injustice. If you would like to support this campaign and purchase a shirt, please visit bonfire.com slash don't look away. Thank you. Hey, I'm Hendel Leva and welcome to the Immigration Mike Podcast where we take you through the journey and story of every guest and the personal reason why they're fighting for immigrants across the nation in their own way. Find all Immigration Mike interviews on the Apple Podcasts now. Ryan <laughs> hey everyone, and welcome to the Immigration Mike Podcast. Go follow at Immigration Mike Podcast on Instagram and go follow the Facebook page too. This episode is being recorded July 14th, and there is a lot to talk about and a great interview for you today. So before we get into the really heavy stuff, I do have an update on the November 13th event at Hofstra University Immigration Mike 100th episode. Did I just give it all away? I think so. But please mark that on your calendar. November 13th at Hofstra University on Long Island, we are going to be celebrating the 100th episode of Immigration Mike. Now, this has not been publicly announced, but everything has been put in place. And so just wait for that official public announcement and you'll be able to get tickets. This will be a free event. And um, we have a lot of exciting stuff going on around this event and a lot of excitement already building. We have people all the way from out east on Long Island to all the way deep in New York City who are already making plans for November 13th. So stay tuned. So one of the things I want to talk about first is the conversation around the detention camps at the southern border. As we look at a lot of the images and as we hear a lot of the stories that are coming out from these facilities, I think it's important to put it into context into our personal stories, right? And look at our own family stories to draw motivation to help. So for example, a part of my family story is when my dad was deported twice from the United States, once from Atlanta and one's from Florida. And, you know, he tells us the story of how back in the day when he was brought to these centers, he was given clean clothes and he was treated humanely. But that's not the case today. We have a crisis on the southern border. We have a humanitarian and public health crisis at the southern border. So a lot of media attention started gathering around the detention centers a few weeks ago when Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a group of members of Congress were scheduled to go to Clint, Texas to visit a detention center. But as those plans were happening, it was revealed that there was a massive secret Facebook group that had a lot of current and former Border Patrol agents on them. All this racist, sexist, homophobic, I mean, a cesspool, right? I, you know, I mean, these groups are going to exist regardless. It's just that people belong to them in their professional capacity. So if they're there online writing this and these people are in charge, you know, that crosses all lines of professionalism. 
if there are any standards for any. And so during this visit, AOC said that she and the other members of Congress were treated disrespectfully. There was a bit of a confrontation. I think she snuck into one of the cells to talk to one of the women, um, to talk to them personally. I believe uh, Congressman Joaquin Castro took a secret video. And they came out and they spoke about how these conditions are squalid and overcrowding and how women were being told to drink from the toilet. Um, so here's some audio from AOC's testimony on her visit to the detention center. And what was worse about this, Mr. Chairman, was the fact that there were American flags hanging all over these facilities, that children being separated from their parents in front of an American flag, that women were being called these names under an American flag. And then just a few days ago, the Republicans also went to visit a detention center in McAllen, Texas. And this included Vice President Pence. And here's a, here's a quote from Pence, what he said. What people are going to see is not the situation that many Democrats have described, but actually a situation in where our agents are providing humanitarian care, health care, shelter, food, sustenance, in a way that would make the American people proud. And so afterwards, the press pool reported that it was crowded, hot, and smelled of sweat. The detainees started shouting for attention when they saw the TV camera. And then afterwards, Mike Pence said, oh, that was really tough to see. And then he tweeted, we have a crisis in all capital letters at our border. This year, we are on track to apprehend more than one million migrants on our southern border. The time to address this humanitarian crisis and secure our border is now in all caps. And then he also said, tweeted, The DHS facility in McAllen is a prime example of why we need to secure our borders. The facility is overcrowded and our system is overwhelmed. It is time for Democrats in Congress to step up, do their jobs, and end this crisis. So here's my take on this. Mike Pence, the Trump administration, Republicans are all full of shit. Because before the meeting, he said, we're going to go in and you're going to see the migrants are being treated you know, as best as possible, given the resources. And then he comes out, he says, wow, that was really tough to see. So in turn, Democrats do your job. Do, do you see that? Do, uh, do, do you see? It's, it's just, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. At least he told part of the truth, right? At least he said, you know, maybe they aren't being taken good care of, or maybe, you know, this is a humanitarian issue and there is overcrowding. At least he said part of the truth. But what did he do? He hot potatoed it back to the Democrats. Mike Pence is full of shit. Just all of them. So the next big thing to talk about is the Trump administration's immigration raids. And for this, I'm going to read an eight-part tweet from at Make the Road New York. Thread, know your rights. DHS has confirmed ICE raids starting Sunday, July 14th, and at least 10 cities will be impacted. Atlanta, Baltimore, Chicago, Denver, Houston, L.A., Miami, New Orleans, New York, and San Francisco. We believe the raids will be focusing on people with prior orders of deportation who entered after 2014. That means that can mean folks who never had the notice of court in the first place, those seeking counsel to understand their case, and those who were subject to expedited removal at the border by CBP agents who did not inform them of their rights. Additionally, raids may also target not only those with old deportation orders, but those who are present at the time of a raid and their family members, which means that community members must be ready to assert their rights. 1. Do not open the door. 
ICE does not have the right to enter your home without a valid warrant that is signed by a judge. Even if they are trying to enter or do enter, continue to say, quote, I do not consent, unquote. Two, remain calm. Don't run, and most importantly, do not lie about your name, age, immigration status, etc. Anything you say or do can be used against you. If ICE questions you under the Fifth Amendment, you have the right to remain silent and not incriminate yourself. Three, do not sign anything ICE gives to you. Ask to have the documents translated. If you do not speak English, ask for an interpreter. Remember, if you are a witness to someone being detained by ICE, you have the right to record as long as you do not interfere with the arrest. Four, make a family plan. If you have children, identify a caretaker. Make sure your family is prepared if ICE arrives at your home. Have all your personal documents and finances secure and make sure that you have at least one number memorized in case of an emergency. And so this podcast is mostly about storytelling, but I think it's really important during this time, which is similar to the time when the podcast started in 2016 with the Obama administration, for people to have some information. So, you know, I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal counsel. This, you know, leaving it to the experts, make the road New York. They've done a lot of work with immigration communities. So that's the information I'm relying And to go with that, there was a CNN article this past Friday. Uh, The headline was, Ice raids are looming, panicked immigrants are skipping work, hiding out, embracing for the worst. You can check that out on CNN. Um, You know, in bold letters, she woke up last night screaming. Um, Frightened farm workers are staying home. Questions and frantic calls. So, and this is not a life. So, So there's a lot of activity happening right now. So I think during this time and why I think, you know, where the podcast can be used as a tool is you can go back and check out, you know, a lot of the stories, a lot of uh, activists, current and former activists um, talking about their personal experience. And so, yeah, so so I hope that the podcast can be used as a tool during this time. And as you heard at the very beginning of the episode, um, Stephanie Ramirez, an activist, she has a campaign where she is Uh, selling t-shirts and all the donations will go to groups that are working you know and so it's important to put our tools together our resources together because that's how we support each other that's how we do it through community and then as a bonus here i have a bonus clip from the latinos allow podcast i am a producer on that podcast and this past week the episode's guest was aj el callejero who is a radio, TV, on-air personality, a club host, blogger, Spotify, global content programming. And he's worked with Romeo Santos and Wisni Andel. And, you know, he's a uh, Salvadoran brother, and I have a lot of love for him. I have a lot of love for Salvadorans. I mean, everything in my life has practically been Salvadoran. You know, when me and my family moved out to Brentwood, a lot of my friends were Salvadoran, and pupusas, of course. And I even had pupusas in Cleveland recently. And again, just everything is Salvadoran. So... A lot of love to my Salvadoran brother who came through to the Latinos Out Loud podcast. And he he gave this amazing interview, right? But one of the things that stuck out was he spoke about his family's immigration story, which fit right into the podcast. And you're going to hear a clip of this. And the amazing thing that his mom does, even though she was formerly undocumented, what she does to support the community today. So here's a clip of that. We all got the Yo, stories, Bobo. Oh, I, I mean, we're in New So while you're going through that, what, what was going on with the family dynamic? Like, what your family, your your sisters, like, yeah. what's that dynamic? So basically, you know, once again, um, my mother and my dad came here legally from El Salvador, American dream, uh, from elite, from undocumented to um, residents to citizens to nice. creating their own families. I have a little sister, which is 
my pride and joy. She has Down syndrome. She's mm-hmm. um, going to be 21 years old soon. And it was tough because I would have to do what I have to do on the side, plus try to follow my dream, but still be able to hustle for my family. Dog, right now, my mother, shout to you, mommy. You know what she's doing right now? She has her own personal Uber service. She wow. doesn't want to stay home. She likes to be in the streets. <laughs> and you know what she does, though? The best part about it is that she's taking undocumented families to immigration and helping them wow. right through the process, going inside with them, holding their hands. And, yo, she's, like, hustling. And so, again, that's, that's just amazing to me. And it really shows how community can support each other during this time. So, again, my ask is... No matter what you do in the immigration movement or if you have not been active or looking to get active, my advice is always the same. Look within. What can you take from your personal story, from your family's personal story, and what can you use for motivation, especially during this time when things are getting hectic? There's a lot of activity and there's a lot of negativity and what can we do? And and so actually, the guest that I have today, Betty Valdez, she's building something that addresses just that. She is a DACA recipient from Colorado, and she has this amazing Instagram page called Be Empowered Dreamer. And in this page, it's all about building community and building empowerment. So I'm going to let Betsy tell her story, but it just came at the right time. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So here she is, Betsy Valdez on the immigration mic. My name is Betsy Valdez, and the Be Empowered is I had created a Facebook page, I created an Instagram page, and really it's something that I'm still trying to figure out. It's it's a journey. Um, it's something that has been in my heart, has been in my mind for quite a while. And the reason why it was born, it was from the, um, from the fact that I'm a dreamer myself. And um, recently, with everything that's been happening in our country, and especially with us dreamers, um, as a DACA recipient, there was a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear, a lot of, you know, so many mixed emotions. And to me, the, the Be Empowered was really a way for me to express myself, for me to embrace and, and share my own story in order to, to shed some light on current issues, to help and change a narrative that is so, um, you know, a narrative that in my, in my opinion is so, fails to, to really uh, show our dreamers and many immigrants and many refugees that are in this country searching that American dream. So again, the, the Be Empowered, is, it really is just a way for me to express myself, a way for me to reach others and empower them in their own journey, regardless of race, color, religion, you name it, because we all have, you know, we all come from different walks of life and uh, we need a little bit of empowerment and inspiration each and every day. Yeah, and you know, I'll say what I enjoy about this page is that at the end of every interview, I always ask the person that I'm interviewing, what are some words of encouragement and inspiration that you would like to give? And here you've built out a whole page. So that's I, I think that's great. And I think it, it's a great resource for people after this interview. So Betsy, let's, let's start at the very beginning. Who, who is Betsy? Who am I meeting here today? So I am originally from Mexico. I am from Pachuca Hidalgo, um, Mexico. So kind of paint a picture for you. I am, or we are from central Mexico. So about an hour away from Mexico City. 
Um, I, my parents brought my sister and myself here to the U.S. I'm in Colorado. We came here 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, just like many others, you know, we're here searching for that American dream. And uh, but one of the main reasons why why my parents decided to make this journey to this country was for obviously for a better future, but mainly for for my sister to be able to give her a better a better future. Uh, my sister was born with bilateral necrotia, uh, which means she was born with no ears. And so at a very, uh, at the time of birth, my parents were told that because of the severity of her condition, she wasn't going to be able to hear, to walk or to talk. And so obviously this is, this is a uh, very heartbreaking. I think as any parent, you're never ready to to be a parent, you never get a a, um, a handbook and say, "Hey, here you go. This is how you parent." And obviously, it's even harder when you're faced with with a child with a disability like that. So anyway, so they worked very hard and you know took her wherever she needed to be and received therapy and special ed classes and numerous doctors uh, doctor appointments and all. Um, but unfortunately, in, in back in our country, the resources uh, were limited. The amount of help was limited just because of our financial situation. And so that's why they decided to make the journey to, to this country. And um, so we've been here for 22 years. I'm, I've been married for 11 years. I have three beautiful little, little girls. And, um, you know, and they definitely keep my hands full. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's fun but um but yeah i mean that's a little bit about me and as i mentioned earlier i'm a, I'm a dreamer i'm a DACA recipient and that's something that i am very it's something that i'm learning to to still embrace and still learning to to be able to share that part of me because it wasn't always like that well i do want to ask you so so before we get to that you know i would love to hear about um, your formative years in Colorado. Uh, why Colorado? Why uh, and what was that like growing up for you? So, I, quite honestly, I, I couldn't tell you why Colorado. <laughs> I mean, I was I, my sister and I. We were seven and nine, so I had no saying into where we were going, and you know, n- none of that. I think our original plan, or my parents' original plan, was North Carolina. I have no idea how we ended up in Colorado. You know, mm-hmm. it's completely different. Um, but being here, I mean, growing up, it was it was different. You know, I, I, I was here, I arrived at the age of nine. And so I didn't know any English. I had to learn another language coming here to to something completely different. No, knowing no one, you know, not a single family member, not just completely unknown. Um, growing up, I mean, I think that it was one of those things that it was challenging. Um, I quite honestly, I think that there was always a part of me that I was ashamed of saying that I'm sharing a little bit too much about me, about who I was and how I had arrived at this, uh, to this country. I think that it's kind of hard to admit, but I think it was growing up trying to be someone else, trying to fit in, trying to, to be something and someone that I wasn't just to be accepted and to a society that wanted me to be a certain way. Can you describe that person that you were trying to be? I, I wanted to be, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to, um, I, I grew up in a very strict household and my parents always expected the best of us. Great grades, 
obviously no no ditching no nothing you know it was a very very strict household and I can't say that all my friends were bad people but I I couldn't say that I hung out with the best either um good grades were definitely not cool having a great GPA was not cool (laughs) and so I felt like that part of me I always had to hide having good grades having a great GPA it was what was expected from me at home but it was not something that was accepted within my friends. Mm. So I always felt like that part of me was something that I had to hide. I had to keep within. I couldn't be proud of being, I was no 4.0 student either, but I had good grades and I had, you know, accepted to, to a university here in, in Colorado. And, but again, I felt like those things I couldn't, I couldn't be proud of out in my community out with my friends Mm -hmm. and and perhaps I was making assumptions maybe maybe it was and I wanted to to I assume that that's what was needed of me I assume that that's what was cool and so I wanted to be a part of that Mm -hmm. and um so I assume during this time um I guess this is like early high school that we're talking um, right. Talk to me about, you know, what you were seeing at that time with the national immigration debate or like the immigration movement or anything like that. Quite honestly, I felt like I it was not something that I it was not something that I followed. It's not something that I wanted to talk about because I knew that it was going to bring up my own situation um, coming here undocumented. It was something that I was ashamed of. What were they going to think of me? What were they going to say about me? Mm-hmm. I mean, at this time, it was when everyone else was getting driver's license. Um, everyone was getting their first job. And this is when it was, it kind of hit me that I didn't have any of these things that all of these other kids were enjoying as part of being uh, a citizen of this country. And I, to me, it was like a slap in the face. You know, I never really thought about it before because it was never presented to me. But then when it was and realizing that I never had that and I, there was no way of me uh, uh, getting a hold of anything like that. It was, I don't know what the word is. It, it just felt, I felt powerless. I felt like I had no, who did I think I was, you know, in somebody else's, in somebody else's country. And I couldn't do anything. I couldn't work. I couldn't go back to school and uh, or keep going with school because of the extremely high um, what's it called tuition and um, so I don't know I think part of me was there was a little bit of anger there was a little bit of shame but as far as what was going on with the immigration and any policy like that I couldn't tell you that I really followed any of that one of the things that did that pops out is 9-11 I know that that was from that point on I know that things got got harder mm, talk to me about that got, um, my mom had um, my my grand my my um, my grandpa had passed away my mom's my mom's dad and my mom had to go back to Mexico at this time and um, she had come here with a visa and um, she left before 9-11 and she had to return after the 9-11 events. And I mean, there was that fear that we would not be able, we would not see her again. 
because it was that much harder for her to get back into the country. And so that to us, it was just, you know, if, if there was any chance before of even having anything, any permit, any residency, anything whatsoever, if that even existed before 9-11, it seemed that after 9-11, it was just that much more, that much harder. It was, mm. it seemed as it was almost impossible to, to obtain anything because, because of the 9-11 events. Okay. And um, when the 9-11 happened, were you in high school at that time? I actually was in middle school. What grade were you in the middle school? I believe I was in eighth grade. So I think we're the same age because I think that happened in eighth grade as well. So take me through uh, what happens next. You talk about being in this situation and not being able to go to college. What happens at that point for you? I think at that point, I think I was very unmotivated. I think I kind of lost hope that perhaps college wasn't for me. Um, I went one semester to college to, um, to the University of Northern Colorado here. And because of my status being undocumented, I had to pay out-of-state tuition. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't afford that. So I couldn't go back to school. I decided to go to the community college here in town. And I mean, even then, even though community colleges are less expensive, it was still money that was coming out of my pocket because we could, or at least for myself, I don't know if it's different in other states, but here we couldn't apply for for any any loans obviously um certain scholarships we couldn't apply for or at least they were harder to uh, the requirements were required for you to be at least a resident or a u.s citizen obviously things that i did not have things that i i was not and i think for me it was you know this isn't for me anymore this american dream it's not for me so I did. I did leave school for a few years. I, I actually worked as a waitress uh, in a, a couple of restaurants, and then I um, I I got married. I got married at the age of. I got married pretty young. I got married at the age of nineteen, and mm-hmm. shortly after, I had my my first daughter. Um, so I think after that too, it just made it that much more to me. It was harder to even go to school or at least find the the reason to to go back to school even though i knew that it was something better for me and for my family you know there was just no way of of making that happen so well betsy uh, let me ask you um what was your dream to study in school i started off in uh, sport and exercise science mm-hmm. so i wanted to get into uh being a um personal trainer okay and or perhaps into physical therapy um but you know, again, I think that those dreams were just shattered when this is how much it costs. You know, it's between eight to nine thousand dollars per semester mm-hmm. to be able to to pursue and further my education and, and anything like that. Do you have an athletic background in a certain sport or were you interested in a particular sport or? No, no. Um, for me, it was starting off as a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. And then I thought of, you know, if I do want to go further, then I looked into the physical therapy part. But not necessarily into a specific sport. It was just, you know, this is this looks good. This is what I want to try. Cool. And you, so you were saying that's what you started off. Did you try something else after that? I did. Um, so when, so in 2012, when DACA came into existence, when President Obama uh, presented DACA, 
I was able to go back to school. <clears throat> and at this time, I didn't have to pay out-of-state tuition. I paid in-state tuition. And I started off with a with with a two-year associates, um, you know, which I'm still working towards. It's something that I've been doing little by little. And um, but in liberal liberal arts and emphasis in Spanish, mm-hmm. um, I really kind of thought, you know, what what do I already have? What can I do with what I have? How can I make a difference with that? Being bilingual, being fluent in Spanish, um, I've always have I've always had a heart for helping others, and especially in my community where there's a large percentage um, a large percentage of our community is uh, Latino or Hispanic. Being an interpreter or being a translator, I said, you know, that's the way that I can make a difference now. Mm-hmm. And so I got um, I got my certification in medical terminology. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, I'm still trying to to finish and continue to pursue more more of um, an education and or a major in Spanish. Okay, well, that's great to hear. And um, I'd, I'd like to ask you um, the birth of your first daughter if there's anything that you could share related to that experience in regards to your overall personal story. Yeah, quite honestly, it was not something that was planned. It it happened. I didn't plan to have my daughter at such a young age. Part of me, I think that I, when I had her, there was a part of me that felt like I was unworthy of, of wanting more in life because I had decided to be, or I had, yeah, I guess I had decided to be a mother at a young age. And so, you know, as, as my daughter grows, I'm growing. I mean, my daughter is 10 years old now. And I'm, while at first I perhaps felt like I was unworthy of wanting more in life, I think that the way that I look at it now, they are my, her along with my two other daughters, they are definitely my reason of, reason, um, of wanting more in life. Um, showing them that, you know, regardless of what her background is, regardless of what her past is, of past choices and decisions that we've made, that we are still worthy of, that we are still, we are worthy of more in this life. And that's exactly what I want my daughters to, to, to know of me to to think of me to continue in this life wanting more for themselves Mm -hmm. well i think that's a that's a great segue into um you mentioned the announcement of daca in 2012 uh talk to me about what that was like for you at least from your experience Uh, i i to me it was life-changing in 2012, when they announced it, I think I got my DACA in 2013 just because of the process and the length of time that it took. Um, at the age of, I think I was, gosh, I want to say I was 25 or 26. And at that time, I finally was able to get my driver's license for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to go back to school. It's a new beginning. It's a new opportunity to to really go after that American dream because, you know, that's that's why my parents came here. That's why we were brought here to to go after something better, to have something better and be better. And I felt like I was finally getting my chance to do that. And so what did that look like after that? Like, how did you 
chase the American dream from that point on. I applied to go back to school, and even though I couldn't afford a, a full, being a full-time student, I took even if it was one class at a time or two classes at, at the time, um, I still went after that. I decided that that's something that I wanted to do. I, um, to me, I think it was mainly school to further my education. I wanted, to me, it was more of a personal achievement, even though at the time I was still a little uncertain of what I was going to do, um, because I knew that I wasn't going to go back to, into sport and exercise science, but I knew that I wanted to have something. I know that a title is just a title, uh, you know, someone with a degree, it doesn't make you any more or any less. But to me, it was just that personal achievement that this is what DACA gave me and this is what I'm going to do with it. And this is what I'm going to show my daughters that we're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And so with that, you know, kind of transitioning from something that was very uplifting and empowering. um, If I could ask you about the 2016 election. Uh, and kind of like the months leading up to that and uh, what, you know, just what was your experience with the 2016 elections? Mm, um, heartbreaking. Well, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't think it was going to end up this way. I thought I was expecting more. I was expecting our communities. I was expecting our people to, to come together. And to see that that we can work together as a community rather than tearing each other apart, rather than name calling and, you know, making accusations that, um, to me, I just felt like there was no way that it could go the way that it did. To me, I felt I expected better. I, I honestly did. Um, when it finally happened and found out that, you know, it ended up with our current president, I was shocked. Um, I was in tears, to be honest with you. I couldn't believe it. I just, I'm the kind of person that I, I give people the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I want to see the good in people. Because I believe that there is good in every every single one of us. And I felt like I was betrayed. <laughs> and I know that sounds kind of, you know, to, to be speaking of a whole country. But I felt like it was, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that the majority of people in this country were falling for such a message full of hate, full of division full of in my opinion lies and really honestly i i just don't i can't find any other word but just pure shock pure shock and so um you know again looking through the instagram page of um that you have i think it i mean you're doing something to fight against everything you just named. Um, talk to me about when you decided to start begin sharing your story and like what you wanted the people listening to get out of it. In 2017, when he made the annou- when President Trump made the announcement to end DACA, that was another heartbreaking moment for me. And I'm sure for other other dreamers, 
what is it, like 800,000 dreamers Mm -hmm. that were in that same position. And so to me, it was this, just this hard blow to our dreams. Somebody just comes and crushes your dreams, tells you that you do not belong. And this, you know, just, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I saw many others. I follow, I started following other pages, other dreamer pages. And a lot of the, the posts that I saw were negative were, well, let's leave. Let's go back to our country. What's left. And part of me, I wanted to fall into that. Part of me, I wanted to, to join them and join that negativity and join that well, what's the point, right? And perhaps I had every right to do so. Because if it ended, what did I have left? I had nothing left. I had this, this opportunity with DACA to have a driver's license, to have a job, to, to go to school, to be a better person, to be a better citizen in this country. And someone is just taking that away from me. Something in me just was, what's the word? Perhaps something woke up in me. And I know that this might sound crazy, but I feel like this is part of my story. I was, um, as I mentioned, I wanted to, to do something with what I had. And being bilingual, I started my own interpreting and translating um, business. And I'm part of a networking group. And to expand my business, to get to know other business owners. And so I I go to this networking group and I go to this once a month. And this one day, it was just a few days after President um, Trump had announced this, had the announcement about ending DACA. And I remember going, I was on my way to this event, to this networking event. And I was devastated. I mean, I felt like I was just in tears. I was just. I don't like to use the word broken, but that's the word that comes to my mind. I felt broken. And I remember going to this event and there was this voice in me. I call it whatever you want to call it. Call it God, call it the universe, call it this, this me. There is this voice and it, it just, it told me you need to share your story. And I'm like, Absolutely not. I'm, I will be walking into a room full of, uh, full of white women. Um, I'm probably the only Hispanic woman in there. Walking into a room full of white women and sharing my story where I have no idea where these women stand. I have no idea. So I kept going back with this voice and I said, no, I will not share my story. And it was like this little tug of war, you know, it was like back and forth. Yeah. Like you need to share your story. I'm like, absolutely not. And, and then I said, okay, well, if I need to share my story, I need a sign, send me a sign and be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you ask for. When I got to the event, I, I was very nervous because I just felt like something was going to happen. And at the end of the event, they do, um, they give away door prizes. So they pull everyone's business cards. And if you, you know, you get to win something. And I think I'm pretty unlucky. I never get to win anything at any of these things. And this day, 
my business card gets pulled out. And obviously my name gets called. And that little voice came back and it said, here's your sign. You need to share your story. So I got up in front of 50 to 60 women. I was shaking. I was with just, I, I, I had no idea what I was going to say. But anyway, I got up and I shared a little bit of my story as a DACA recipient, as a dreamer, and letting others know that this is a real face, this is a real human being that perhaps representing a percentage of what a DACA recipient is, what a dreamer is, that I contribute to this country just as much as anybody else. And all I'm asking for is that opportunity to continue with that American dream. After that, I, the, the amount of love, the amount of support, the amount of encouragement that I received was beyond my wildest dreams. I had no idea that would ever happen. And there, it just sparked something greater in me. This is what I need to do. This is what I need to continue to do. Because you see, I think a lot of people, when they hear about DACA, when they hear about any immigration issue, when they hear about any issue whatsoever, when you hear it on social media, when you hear it in the news, there's no face. You just hear this issue that's so far away. And you have no, you don't know anybody, right? So it's not real. But when you put a face to an issue, that changes things. That changes people. It doesn't change everybody. I know that my message and sharing my story, it's not for everybody. I'm sure some roll their eyes and say, oh, here she goes again. But I know that there's somebody out there that's needing to hear that message, that's needing to hear my story. And they say, well, if she can do it, so can I. And if I'm able to make a difference one way or another, whether it's one person or a hundred, that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm passionate about. Every time that I'm able to do that, I connect with somebody else. And that leads to other things. And that leads to even greater things. And so that's why I've become, I've become so passionate about our stories and the power of our stories. Because that's how we connect with each other. And, that's uh, how we connect with one another. And that's led you here to the podcast. <laughs> exactly. I mean, <laughs> we all have that ability. We have the ability to be the voice for, for others. We have the ability to be the face for, for these issues and allow others to see more, to, to be more. And, um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's what I'm passionate about. And that's what Be Empowered is about. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, that's really exactly what this podcast was built on. Uh, similar passions and, and voices like yours. Um, so we're going to wind down in a few minutes. So what is next for you as we move into 2020? What do you see for yourself or your role as we move forward to the next presidential elections? For me, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that I'm figuring out little by little. Um, Perhaps a story that I've always told myself, I said, you know, I'm an introvert. I don't like being, I don't like being the center of attention, but this, this election, this new, pre this presidency, the issues that we see nowadays has brought something else out in me. It's something that I believe is needed and I encourage others to do the same. And I need to be more educated, at least in the 
um, political part. But as as far as what I'm doing now and what I will continue to do is continue to be that voice, continue to to share, to share, to share my story, to um, again being that voice for many others that feel like they've lost their voice. For many others that feel like they're lost and there's no way out to just to continue pushing forward and continue to be an advocate, to continue to to be to be the change that we need to see, whatever that may be. Um, I mean, going back to my the, the being empowered to me is being empowered to be the change, to be the difference to be the voice, to be the one that can make that difference in, in our country, in our community, because that's where it starts. It starts in our communities. It starts in our inner home. It starts, then it goes out into our communities. And then you start making these ripple um, effects. Then it reaches, you know, you reach a, a wider um, audience. You reach other people. You reach your message your message reaches others that that need to hear it. And I just think that the more we do this, others will be empowered to do the same. And that's the kind of movement that I want to see. So Betsy, last question. Um, given what you just said and how we end off the interview, um, which is some words of encouragement, if you could pick one quote from the Be Empowered page or just, you know, that a quote of your choosing, what is one quote that you would uh, share with others? To me, it would be, be empowered to be the change that you wish to see in this world. We can't wait for somebody else. We can't just wait around for somebody else to make that move. If that's you, go for it. If it's one, if it's to one person or a hundred, go for it. But you hold that power and and you can be that change all right betsy well tell everybody where do you, where they can reach you so i have my uh both on instagram and on facebook you can find me or you can follow me at at the empowered dreamer and it's b just the letter b and then empowered dreamer um, again on both facebook and instagram all right betsy well thank you so much i really truly enjoyed speaking with you i really um admire your passion i really admire how you're building your own brand and and i think that it is a great tool and a great motivator for others um as we all collectively work towards what's next in the future for this so i really appreciate you i appreciate you giving me this opportunity so thank you all right, and we've come to the end of this week's episode. I will see you all in two more weeks. I know that a lot is happening right now around immigration. I hope to have more updates for you in the next coming weeks. You know, things are getting busy. It's getting hard out here. But, you know, like I said, with everything that we spoke about in the beginning of the episode, shout out Stephanie Ramirez for her fundraising campaign. Go back to the beginning of the episode and listen to the very first few seconds where she talks about it and support her, buy the t-shirts, Support this podcast at Immigration Mike Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook. And remember, take these stories. Take these stories and really listen and have them motivate you. And for you to discover within what you can do during these times. 
because these times are so important and every one of us has something, something to give, something to do. And let's do it. Let's do it as a community because this is going to sound so corny, but at the end of the day, love always trumps hate.